which is kind of like what you're saying about infinite. The universe didn't have a start either. Yeah, so one thing I would say about a beginningless universe that's a problem is like if there if if the number of events that preceded this one were infinite in length, that would mean that we could never arrive at this moment. Because like imagine if you if you have a timeline that's infinite in both directions and you take two points along that timeline, the, the distance between those two points would also be infinite, right? Because any part of infinity is also infinity. But that would mean that you could never get from this point to this point because there would always be an infinite number of events remaining before you could arrive at this moment. So to me, it seems like the very fact that we have arrived at this moment now seems to suggest in and of itself that time um, or the number of events preceding this is, is finite. not is, is finite. Yeah. So, but there's an objection to that, which is that, and this might kind of align with your philosophy. I'm not sure if you've really like considered this scientific viewpoint, but it's called the B theory of time. And the B theory of time is like basically there, um, there is no objective present moment. Like it's, it's kind of just like we experience the present, but the past, the future, the present are all equally real. Um, and our, it's kind of like our experience of the present moment is illusory. But the problem with that is like, if it's illusory, then the illusion of change, like why, why do we experience an illusion of things changing? If like, that's where time, that's the, that's where the time dimension. So, but if we, if we exist in time, so you're saying that you, you agree that there was something that preceded time, right? I mean, I really have no way of answering that. Like, well, how does, am I supposed you, to answer that? Well, you can answer that by like... Saying, do I believe it? No, I mean, when I, when I ask you, like, if you think something, I'm not asking you to like, just guess haphazardly. I'm asking like, based on what you know about reality from your experience or from like what you know, understand about the big bang cosmic cosmological model, like, and the big bang cosmological model has, you know, stood the test of time, no pun intended uh, time, uh, but like space time began. So to me that like, if time is finite, that means something that is not temporal or is not within time brought it into existence. And I know we're kind of like talking about the cosmological argument now and not about past infinities, but that, that seems relevant to your objection. Like is, is something coming from nothing the same as saying something always existed? No, I don't think it is at all because, you know, theists think that God has always existed. And that seems completely at odds with saying God came from nothing. Like, God didn't come from anywhere or anything. God just was. And yeah, but when you say it didn't come from anywhere or anything, that's the same as saying no thing. Mm, that's true. Well, so, like, but, but I'm not saying... Like, maybe my thing is, like, when someone says nothing, they can't say no thing because there's no such thing as no thing. Maybe what they really mean is that it just didn't come from anywhere. It just wasn't. I think, I, mean? I think, well, I think nothing, nothingness when is When they a, say nothing, they mean absolutely, 
like what nothing. is what is absolute nothing. What is, what is, what so, everything that is the opposite of that. So when when I say nothingness, I and I, I think it is a coherent concept or word. Uh, when I say it, I mean the absence of any kind of properties. So the absence of space, time. Some people think that empty space is nothing, but no, it's still empty yeah, space. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's like we got to figure out whether or not we can actually believe it. But, but well, I think, and, and this is like when I talked to Matt Dillahunty and Tracy Harris, Tracy kind of acted like the idea of nothing is, is not coherent or it's not like a cogent concept. And to me, and maybe you, you'll think this analogy is bad, but I, I want to get your thoughts on it. So, if you're going to say something like, um, we shouldn't expect something over nothing, or may, or maybe like, or we can't even determine if non-existence or there not being anything is even possible. Like if you're going to say that like, that would require more of an explanation than something positively existing, then I don't see why we can't go around making claims like, it's on the burden of, the burden of proof is on the, the atheist to show me why God doesn't exist. Like if, if we're, if we're justified in saying something like, um, I think the burden, well, they use that a lot with the, you know, the burden of proof is on the believer or whatever. Right. But it's on both parties. Well, it's yeah, equally, well, I think it's, it's on, equally shared. I don't think actually, I don't think you as an agnostic have, have, uh, I don't think you have any burden of proof. I mean, because you, you're not taking a position, really. You're not taking a stance, so yeah. you don't have to prove anything. Right. But, but if, if well, you're saying, like, the burden of proof is on both the atheists and atheists. Right, because the, atheist, the yeah. atheist is making the claim that... They're both e making equally... Equal claims that require valid they're, proof. They're way the same. Although, well, so I think I think you're right in some, circumstance, some circumstances because you have an atheist like Matt Dillahunty who would say... No, I'm not. I'm not saying God doesn't exist. I just lack a belief in God. So, like, I don't go around saying leprechauns yeah. don't exist. Is but that I'm, a modern definition of atheism, or has that always been? No, no. Like the the historical definition of atheism is the claim that is no there is there is no God or it God. It changed it somewhere along the line to say that lack of belief. Actually, no. Like it's still officially. Yeah, that's the official I, definition. But it, like lack of the belief, there is no God. Colloquially, it. It's, but technically, I have a lack of belief. So right. So I'm then, not an atheist. well, so some would say that you are an atheist. So you might, they might say you're an agnostic atheist. So an agnostic atheist, Bart Ehrman was pretty humorous with his explanation of it. He's like, if someone were to ask me if I believe in a god, uh, my answer is no. Uh, so I'm an atheist. But if someone were to say, do I know there's no god? I would say. Well, how the hell should I know that? <laughs> so I'm I'm an agnostic. Um, so that so there's an agnostic atheist, which is like I don't believe there's God, but I don't know. I don't believe there's a God, but I can't prove there isn't. Right, and then there's gnostic atheists, which is I, think, I know there is no God. Right, and I think that position would require um, defending because mm -hmm. yeah, otherwise you're you're saying I. I that, can, that's the stance that requires. I can show, I can prove the non-existence of something, and which I think William Lane Craig has. Hold on, you can prove the non-existence of something. Is that what you said? Yeah. I think within like a certain 
Yeah, well, I, I think agree. that's hard. I think within a certain, like I can prove that there's Domain. not a bottle of Coke in this room. Right. Right. But because like you have to like limit your space of where this mm -hmm. proof needs to be put because we don't know the extent of, extent of the universe. Sure. And I agree. You yeah. might discover something in the universe that would tip us more towards there is like a God saying, not a God. I can prove that there is no hydrogen atom that has 10 neutrons on it. But we don't know that. Yeah. Or, um, yeah, like Wayne Lane Craig's example is that you can prove the you can prove the non-existence of any Muslims on on the U.S. Senate. Um, right. It has to be like within a certain. It area. has to be a certain scope. Right. You can prove that there are no living T. Rexes on the planet. So yeah, I, I agree with you guys that in in a certain domain of applicability, there there are cases where you can show the non-existence of something. But I think in the case of God, since God is defined typically as being beyond the natural world, there's no possible way you could disprove that. And, but I mean, that doesn't necessarily mean it's reasonable to believe that there is a God, but it also means you shouldn't go around saying these, these strong atheist positions like, no, I know God does not exist. And it's like, well, how would you ever determine that? Well, who says that? Let's just get the record straight. Who says that? I, I, there, I would say probably Christopher Hitchens, um, would, well, would say something like, yeah, I, I know. Has he ever said that? Well, some people say that they... I know he just hates the concept of God, but I don't know if that's the same thing as saying that I know for a fact there is. Yeah, you know, you're, I, I don't want to misrepresent his position but because uh, I, I actually don't know for sure if, if he said that verbatim, but I do know for a fact that there are atheists who who do say kinds of things like that. And, and some will even try and present an argument for why they think that's the case, like, I know God doesn't exist because there's too much suffering in the world or probably a better, more philosophically rigorous argument would be like, I know God doesn't exist because the, the concept of God is incoherent. Like the, the cons or the idea of a, of a mind existing independent of physical matter is absurd. Like that is impossible. But then we would say, well, how do you know that's impossible? And that would dig into further rabbit trails. But that that is that's an example of how a strong atheist could at least in principle make an argument for the non-existence of God. Why do why is Richard Dawkins so hate is not the right word? Why does he get so much attention as being an atheist? Because he is uh, so Richard Dawkins is a part of this movement called the New Atheism and. The new atheism is different than, I guess, the old atheism, and that old atheism was just kind of like indifferent to religious believers. Uh, it, it was more, more like we think that religion is illogical or uh, absurd. We're not going to believe it. But the the new atheists have taken a position like we want to remove religion. Uh, we want to eradicate it. And, and Richard Dawkins even said something like at a reason rally, um, like. I heard him. He said basically stand up against them and be call them out, and basically said be be rude to them. And, yeah, mock them. Yeah, mock them. Um, and I think he gets a lot of attention because he's, you know, for his character. Vo than, yeah, vocal. He's, he's very vocal. Yeah. Very vitriolic. Like he 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 want he's divisive. He wants people to be upset. And unlike some. I think there are lots of atheists out there, like Matt Dillahunty. Or you think he wants people to be upset, or he just doesn't like ignorance? 
Well, I think it's a, I don't think it's a black and white issue. I think, yeah. I, I don't think he likes ignorance, but I, I also think, um, I, I mean, if you look at some of the, like the, the video clips of him having discussions with religious, religious believers, he never, or he rarely is like asking, okay, well, why do you think that? I mean, like when he was talking with a Muslim about an example in the Quran or it wasn't the Quran, uh, one of the Hadiths, I think, where there's a miracle. He's like, you really believe that? Like, you, you sincerely believe that? And it's like, that's not a good way to get someone to question their beliefs. He, it, he's kind of preaching to the atheist choir mm -hmm. because he's he knows that atheists, uh, you know, by and large, think that religion is absurd and, and no serious thinker could ever present any kind of rational argument for God's existence. And so he kind of like, if you read some of the responses from atheists to his book, the God delusion, you'll see that his book is not philosophically sophisticated at all. I mean, like he, one of his arguments is, uh, well, who created God? And that's one of the most basic objections to theism that has been answered a thousand times over in philosophical literature. And then the answer to that objection is, well, it's, it's not a reasonable question in the first place, because when we say the term God, we are referring to the thing that is the first or, or primal cause, the thing that sustains all other things. So Richard Dawkins question is in a way just misunderstood. And, and the fact that he publishes that shows that he, he thinks so lowly of religion and religious thought that he thinks, ah, okay, well, I've got the death blow right here. No need to do any further research. And then atheists just kind of latch onto that and they think they've got like this death blow. And that's why I'm not crazy about Richard Dawkins. I think he's got good arguments. Um, I think some of his arguments are, are good for atheism, like the problem of animal suffering or like, why would God use evolution as a mechanism for creating humans if he if he genuinely cares about humans? And there's all this suffering and predation millions of years prior to humanity. Like, I, I think that's an argument that, like, one could reasonably make in favor of atheism, and I think that's worth discussing. But, I like, on, on the face of it, he, he seems to be very, um, very close-minded to, like, the more rigorous sophisticated arguments for god and he especially like the modern day arguments like kalam and fine-tuning well if you want to get anywhere close to the truth and understanding what the possibility of a god could be like i feel like you have to be well-rounded in your experience of life and i feel like somebody who's that brilliant and been in his field for so long somehow maybe missing certain experiences in life mm -hmm. i mean i don't know what those would be but i mean has he ever starved or you know on the brink of starvation or has he ever lived in a country where you know their belief system is completely different or you know what i'm saying or has he it's, in my opinion he seems like the type of guy who's just like went down one fine path in life and never really strayed away from it but i could be completely wrong about that because i think there's certain experiences that make people believe in god that a lot of people don't experience and those are big experiences mm -hmm. So, but I mean, whether or not Richard Dawkins has had some kind of experience that would have made him reconsider theism. That, I'm saying like to experience life completely and wholly, 
you know, like entirely versus being so you're saying an academic or an intellectual. I, I'm saying like if there's any real truth to be found, you have to like experience life completely before you make your assumption about it. So are you saying that his position is unjustified in a way because he hasn't? Well, I'm saying that like, well-rounded like, experience. Well, maybe I'm saying atheists are like wrong when they say they know there is no God because I mean. How many people have completely experienced what it's like to be a human being, like completely entirely? Um, well, I, I don't even think if you had experienced the the whole of human experience, like I if I got to live my consciousness through Graham and Adam and myself and right. Jesus Christ and everyone who's ever mm -hmm. lived and will live. I still don't think that it's human experience alone would yeah would would get me anywhere close to being able to make a a claim about God's non-existence um, without the use of argumentation. I mean, so human experience is, is I think it's useful when talking about like, well, I'm saying, I, I'm uh, saying this might not be, I'm just going to say it. I'm saying that he, maybe he'd be more inclined to think about the possibility of the God if he did experience what it was like to be everybody sort of thing. Sure. I, I mean, I think yeah. well, maybe what I'm saying is I think that those types of atheists are very close-minded. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm gonna say that's true. But I, I mean, but so are a lot of religious zealots. Yeah, like there's young Earth creationists who, you know, if you say why do you think the Bible is true? Well, because the Bible is the word of God. Well, why do you think the Bible is the word of God? Well, because the Bible is true, and then it's just circular. Mm -hmm. But. Aren't they more, I mean, wouldn't do you, as a the believer, do you respect that more than an atheist? Um, no, I actually, I don't, believe what you I believe don't, I don't think I do. I don't think I respect the, um, the circular logic just doesn't make because sense. Because I've heard plenty of people say, well, at least he's not an atheist. No, like, uh, to Somebody me. Somebody said that to me, I think, last weekend at the party. Uh, well, at least you're not an atheist. And I'm like, well, what is the, that supposed to mean? Yeah, that's, oh, sorry that's that bad. someone said that. It's offensive. That's bad. Well, to me, I don't, and this is just personal, I don't respect, I, or I should say I have more respect for the person who is honestly seeking and saying, like the atheist who's who's asking the questions and saying, okay, why, why do you think, that God exists? Why do you think Jesus was raised from the dead? R rather than just the person who um, blindly, you know, accepts these things for, for no other reason than dogmatic. I mean, like to me, I, I don't think Christianity calls its adherents to be unthinking. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. when someone, when someone does that, that seems to almost be like at odds with a primary uh, tenet of the faith, like Jesus says, to worship the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And to to me, to worship God with your mind means to consider the possibility that what you previously thought is untrue, um, because that's how you think about everything else. And I don't see why God should be, you know, like set apart from that. I don't know. You guys have thoughts on that? No, I, mean, I agree with what you're saying. I'm, I'm, maybe I'm, fish, I'm just fishing for clarity. That's why I ask these questions, you know. But, but yeah, it's definitely. 
I would like to talk about um, fine tuning because we haven't talked about that at all. I know you brought it up before. I I don't. Can I start by trying to explain what I think it is? Yeah, go ahead. Based on what you said before, I think that fine tuning argument is basically an argument that says, well, uh, basically the conditions had to be perfect for right. us to exist, and those conditions are so rare to have happened that it basically proves that there was some sort of intent behind it. Exactly. Yeah. That's that's a good summary. Um, and so I think sometimes that argument is squashed. Uh, well, the universe is infinite, right? So there are infinite because of possibilities the, for the that to exist. So, that so that's interesting. Even if the chances of, of ideal conditions for life happening are one one billionth of a percent, there's going to be something out there that will happen. There's going to be an infinite number of places that that will happen. So but uh, so this is kind of bringing up the the multiverse objection and I talked with Chris about this and he he was very helpful in in addressing this objection because you have to have a very specific kind of multiverse you have to Keep talking about okay. You have to have a very specific kind of multiverse um, in order for this objection to work because you you not only have to have a large number of universes, but you have to have the kinds of universes that have constants and quantities that vary. And um, and I, th I think it was Inspiring Philosophy who said, like, there's no guarantee that all of those potential parameters would be realized just because you have a large number of universes. In the same way, like, getting 13 hands uh, or getting 13 cards um, that all have the same suit is exceedingly rare, but you can draw an incredibly large number of hands and never get that, that particular hand. Mm -hmm. So the question we have is, and that, you know, that's a decent objection. And I, I didn't do a, as well enough of a job as I would have hoped to really address it. Um, but we, we, you know, what, what's interesting about fine tuning is that these are the initial conditions of after the big bang, you know, within like a picosecond uh, of the big bang. So it's not, it's not like we can say they, they went through some kind of, you know, evolution or development. Um, these are the constants. These are the things that are, I mean, by their very, by the word constant, it's a, it's something unchanging. And the, the strange thing about fine tuning is that, since these are the initial conditions, we can look at and say, what what if the expansion rate, this is an example, had varied by one part in 10 to the 120th parts, which is like a million, it's one followed by 120 zeros. And cosmologists look at this and they, and they can make some uh, determinations and say, well, if it had been just one increment, uh, quicker, you know, if the expansion rate had been faster by just one of those increments, then uh, it would have thinned out so quickly that stars couldn't form. Or if it had been smaller, then it, it, it would have collapsed back in on itself. Or I might be confusing those with the force of gravity constant. But, um, it, well, it, it's kind of irrelevant which constant it is because you have about two dozen according to Leonard Susskind. Uh, who's a physicist, and each of them 
if you were to tweak them ever so slightly, it's not like you get a universe that's just kind of different. It's not like maybe you yeah, still use if you tweak the universe if you tweak the universe of constants, the entire universe changes. Right. And it's not like it's not like a, a different kind of life emerges or different kinds of planets mm -hmm. exist or maybe stars burn just a little less brightly, but they still burn. No, like there, there's no structure. There's no planets or galaxies or stars or, or anything. And there's, there's no, in many cases, there's not even chemistry. So you like, we might not know exactly what's necessary for life to evolve, but we certainly know that chemistry is necessary and planets and stars are necessary. And if, 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 uh, adjusting the constants produces a universe that doesn't contain those things in the overwhelming majority of potential configurations that the constants could have taken. Right. So there are, and this is how you can kind of say what naturalism predicts. You can say, given the fact that there are many more possible configurations that the constants could have taken that would have produced a universe incapable of supporting life, that's how we can make a, a claim like uh, naturalism predicts a life prohibiting universe simply because there are more possibilities that would have created a life prohibiting universe. And only a very small region of these constants creates a life permitting universe. It only takes one. Well, well even, you're talking about multiverse theory though, right? You were talking about that earlier. Yeah. So when Adam stepped away for a minute, I, mentioned the multiverse theory and that's probably like in my opinion the best objection to the fine-tuning argument but i still think there are a number of problems with it and i was telling graham like one of the problems is that you need a very specific kind of multiverse you need one that has not just a large number of universes but probably an infinite number of universes mm -hmm. and the, and not only that these universes need to have the same kinds of laws of physics that our universe has um, well, if you have an infinite number of universes, then there will be an infinite number of universes that have our laws of physics. That's just how infinite works. Well, I don't, I, I disagree with that because I think there could be conceivably different laws of physics. But well, yeah, yeah, there'd also be an infinite number of universes that have different laws of physics. Yeah, well, so, but if you have, that's how infinity infinite works. Infinite means endless. Yeah. So that means that means what it means. Graham just said it. Every single thought. I mean, it's kind of a terrifying thing to think about. It is very terrifying to actually think about. If multiverse where, where we are completely different people. Mm -hmm. like, well, there's multiple. There, mul there are different universes where one decision, one choice, changes everything, or well, one one single small action is different, and that's the only thing. Yeah, but yeah. what I'm trying to get at here is that. Um, the kind of multiverse necessary to explain away fine tuning is a multiverse, which the reason I say these other universes would have to have the same laws of physics or ones very similar to our own is because if they are different laws of physics, then who knows, maybe a life permitting universe is more probable or less probable given those different laws of physics. And so you may you might say, well, okay, well, if that's possible, then that undermines fine tuning completely, but no, it doesn't because we're looking at our universe and saying, uh, given our laws of physics, is it likely that these constants would have taken the values they do to 
create an environment conducive to hosting intelligent life and not just intelligent life, but things like stars, planets and structure and chemistry and things like that. Mm -hmm. And the answer to that is no, it's not likely at all. Um, and so you would need a multiverse where you have similar laws of physics or the same laws of physics. And you also have a mechanism for create or for jumbling the constants. So there needs to be a way to vary the constants from universe to universe. Um, and so that's, you need a very specific type of multiverse. And I'm not, I'm not even convinced that we have a lot of good reasons for thinking there is a multiverse. Some people would complain that the multiverse was just kind of conjured up as a response to do away with fine tuning. And I don't think that's true. And Sean Carroll, the physicist who's an atheist, he said in the debate with uh, Luke Barnes that his confidence, his confidence in the multiverse is only like 50, 50. And I'm not, I'm not trying to base my confidence off of one person, but um, I, I don't think his is like a, a bad representation of kind of the whole of mainstream physics. I, I haven't really seen a lot of um, physicists that are certain that there is a multiverse. Um, and so, yeah, so the multiverse, uh, not to belabor the point, I think it, it could, it, in principle, maybe explain why our universe appears to be finely tuned. But again, you have to have a way to jumble the constants because there's no guarantee that all of the potential parameters would come to fruition just because you have a large number of universes. And, um, and at the same time, you'd have to have similar laws of physics, but I'm concerned about what best explains our own universe. Like if necessity, like if, if necessity or chance are not good explanations, then I don't see why intention is, should be, you know, ought to be rejected. If we have good ground, and I've argued this before, if we have good reasons for thinking that the naturalistic explanations fail, then I, that doesn't automatically mean the supernatural, supernatural explanation is true, but I think it ought to be favored over those, those failing natural explanations. Does that make sense? Not really. Maybe you can explain it. So like the reason I think design is the, the most preferred or the, the best option out of the three years, because if, if you'll remember, I said fine tuning, the fine tuning of the universe, this is the formal argument. It's the fine tuning of the universe is due either to physical necessity to chance or to design. And so but for, isn't necessity, could that be lumped into design? I mean, if it's necessity, that means it's designed. But well, I, no, I don't think, I don't agree with that because God, and because necessity means that there's a need for it, right? So there's a need for it. That means when that I, when something I, was aware that there was a need for it. Well, that, I mean, to me, that would be kind of like saying God needed to create the universe and I don't think God needed to do anything, but, um, when I but say saying based on necessity, you said necessity, right? Well, well when I say necessity in, in this context, I mean like the constants hold the values they do because of some underlying law of physics or whatever that they couldn't have had different values. There's something that requires them to hold the values they do. Do you believe in that? That's a, that's a possibility because that that is a possibility, that, but the universe without a God. Well, it's just necessity. Well. Are you talking about the constants holding the values they do by necessity or a universe existence? Necessity sounded like a universe that could exist without design. 
Yeah, well, so so this is a possibility, and, and what I want to say here on the, on this option is even if even if I grant that, like, okay, yeah, even if we tweak gravity by one part and ten to the sixtieth, the universe cannot support life. Um, well, it turns out that the gravitational constant is physically necessary. It, it couldn't have been different in the first place. So who cares? Who cares what would have been? what would have been the case if it had varied because we know it couldn't have varied. And my response to that is if, if all of the constants are somehow explained by some underlying law, like some law of physics that, okay, the expansion rate of the universe, the critical density of the universe, the mass of an electron, whatever, all of these are explained by some underlying law, then it still seems to me really freaking coincidental that we have a universe governed by that law versus some other law. Why do we have a universe that is explained by that law that makes all of these constants necessarily the values uh, that they are versus some other law? And you can't say, well, or, or I guess you could in theory say, well, that law is explained by something else that is also necessary. But then, that, that, then we get to the infinite regress problem of, you know, you can't have an infinite series of explanations. Does that make sense? Like, what, what I mean by necessary? And so even if, even if fine-tuning is necessary, it I don't... It sounds like it's more what you mean is, like, more or just a byproduct of some sort of fundamental action that took place that could have been... Maybe the intent maybe wasn't even life. It would just so, that yeah, that's a, a better objection, I think, is... Some people would say, you know, the universe is also fine-tuned for, rock, for rocks and for, you know, most of the universe is inhospitable towards life. So it's it's pretty arrogant for theists to say, well, it's fine-tuned for life when like 99.999% of the universe is hostile towards life. But how I would respond there is our universe is still 100% life permitting, even though most of it cannot contain life. Right, I think that's a better explanation. Hostility doesn't mean that we weren't the intention, it just means that that was the way life was created. Well, and we, we don't have to be the, like, I think it's a false dichotomy a lot of people suggest when they say, like, like atheists will typically say something like, the universe is so enormous, it's so, so huge, and most of it has nothing to do with us, and yet theists want to say that, hey, it's, it's all here for us. And I don't see that in the Bible. I don't see that, I don't see that as a necessary uh, premise, I guess, in, in adopting theism to say that the universe either exists only for human beings or it has no reason for existing at all. I, I think the universe could potentially have an enormous amount of reasons for why it exists. The reason we think fine tuning is a good argument for God is because the kind of universe that's produced when we twiddle the constants, they're, they're not similar, or I should say they, they are completely similar, uh, except for like this, this one particular instance. So it, it would be akin, there's lots of analogies. It would be akin to going to like a gumball machine that has like, a billion black gumballs in it that are lethal. If you eat one of these, it'll kill you. And then there's one white gumball in it that is life permitting. So if you eat the white gumball, you'll, you'll live. And you put a quarter in and you twist, who knows why you're at this gumball machine. If you know, 
if you know what could possibly happen, but you put the quarter in, you twist it, and then you, you get the white gumball and you're surprised, but you put it in your mouth and you start chewing. You're like, well, I got lucky there. And then, uh, the, the evil carny comes over and, and fills up the, the gumball machine with even more black gumballs and puts in one more life permitting gumball. And you, for whatever reason, are inclined to turn the knob again and you get the white, you get the white gumball again. And so the question is then, is it more reasonable to think that it's, it's just happening by chance that you are getting to live each time, despite the numerous odds against you? Or but that's not this. I don't think that's the same. Ha, so I know where you're coming from, but that I, I can I can try and explain why I think it is the same okay. because. But you're trying. But you're you like the fine tuning argument because it implies precision. Yeah, I like the fine tuning argument because it, to me it's the clearest example of intention we have for any kind of argument for God. We can say God caused the universe, but like the fine tuning to me is the best example of like showing what kind of universe God might want to create. And I, I can infer that, I think, because most other alternatives of the, that the constant, like most other parameters that could have been the case would have produced roughly the same kind of thing. So it's not just that they don't permit life and we're randomly assigning significance to this one because it does permit life. It's not just that they don't permit life. It's that they don't really permit anything. It's like they're, they're either all black holes. They're, they're just that, they're absent of chemistry. There, there's no atoms. Mm -hmm. the, like Luke Barnes gave an example where at most a single proton passes by another proton once every trillion years, and then they drift off for another trillion years of solitude. So, and this is, this will be the last point I make on, on this. Um, to me, it's reasonable to infer intention when the alternatives produce the, like the same kind of result. Because, like, imagine that you have a working computer and you, you don't know who built it. You don't know what kinds of intention the person making the computer had, what kind of software they're using, whatever. Um, or I should say hardware, I guess. But the point is, like, you come to find out that, like, if you were to remove one of the keys, that the computer stops working. Or maybe it even disintegrates. Or um, you find out that if if you put a screwdriver in one of the screws in the computer and, and turn it slightly to the left, that the computer disintegrates. To me, you could infer, based on the fact that making any kind of minor alteration basically reduces the machine to, to nothingness, um, you could infer from that fact alone that there was some kind of intention involved in the making of the computer without having known beforehand what kind of computer an agent might make based on the fact alone that if I'd make any kind of minor, minor tweak to this computer, it's just going to stop existing. I know based on that fact alone that, or I can reasonably infer, I should say that, okay, there was some intention involved. I have lots of different, Cases where if I tweak something, the computer ceases to exist and only one instance seemingly where the computer can exist. Is that it? It makes complete sense. I, I do think, however, the way the universe is, is, the way the universe is, is different than the way a computer is, like the design of a computer. I, 
So do you think it's unreasonable to infer design in the universe because it's not like it's not a an object like a computer which we know are designed by agents? Is that kind of what you're saying? Or yeah, I I think the universe could be. I mean, I think there the possibility of the universe was not designed is also a possibility. That's why I, I don't think it's compatible with the computer argument. Okay. Well, I mean, I agree that it's also possible that the universe wasn't designed, but I'm saying, is it more reasonable to think it was based off of what we know about fine tuning and, and fine tuning? I'm going to go based on just what, how you feel about fine tuning then. Well, so how do I, more when you say how I feel about it, what do you mean? Like how, how is my, well, because I think, am, am I like arbitrarily? No, no, no. I don't think you're okay. wrong at all. And I, I mean, I don't think you're, you're making it up. I say that because I can envision a universe created uh, through you know, as one possibility of the infinite possibilities that could happen, and this was the one that actually just worked. You know, I, I mean, I I don't think it's a fine tuning thing. I think it's just a matter. It's a it could exist through just sheer probability. I mean, probability. If the natural state of the universe is disorganized, and the natural state of being is something rather than nothing. I think eventually oh, this organization through time would produce something so complex as this. I would want to argue against that point about the natural state being something rather than nothing. Because to me, if, if you're going you to... But first off, you don't believe in nothing or something coming from nothing. Right, I don't. That, well, that, that seems to be different than me, me not thinking it's possible for something to come from nothing seems to be completely different than saying... Uh, something is the default state because if you're going to say something like if you're going to say the default state is that something exists that seems to me to imply that let's say you know you and I are I think I said the default state well at least one of the default properties is some a disorganized universe well a disorganized universe would be something right yeah mm -hmm. so but if okay so if you're going to say that the default state is instead of nothingness there's this disorganized universe. To me, that that's like saying the non-existence of something would require more defending or more of an explanation than the existence of something. And so that, that kind of sounds complicated. Let me try and like break it down. Like if you're going to say there, there is this state of affairs, there's the universe and let's, what I was trying to say earlier was like, let's say somehow we could observe nothingness. Like we can put it in a box and then we have this other box that contains our universe. From what you're saying, it sounds like you would look at the box containing our universe and say, or you would, sorry, you would look at the box not containing a universe and say, you know, that's awfully strange that that box doesn't contain anything. Uh, it, it should be a universe or it should be something. But it, no, like to me, the, the presence of things requires an explanation, not the absence of things. I wouldn't look at the non-existence of a universe and say, you know, it's, it's passing strange to me that this hasn't metamorphosed into a universe. I understand what you're saying. I don't know where you, what you're going off of, though, because I think what I said was something different. To me, it sounded like you said nothing is the default, or you said something. You said a disorganized universe is the default state. 
Yeah, I think I wanted to explain more about that. Yeah, clarify that. When given enough time and, and chance, if it, one of the default properties of being or existing is disorganization, that means eventually it would, this, this organization would somehow produce. Uh, but that assumes that the constants could fluctuate. And, and I, I, I mean, I'm not saying that the constants are fluctuating. I mean, so you, but you're saying, okay. This organization is what we see everywhere in the universe is the colliding of stars, galaxies, everything. And eventually these, you know, patterns emerge from this chaos. And but I'm talking about those patterns create life. But I'm talking about what conditions are necessary for those stars that are colliding to exist in the first place. And that that's different than saying, well, there, there's entropy or, or chaos within this on a whole orderly realm. To me, that seems very different because I'm talking about why is there a realm in which these these disorderly things can happen in the first place? Because there's, I think, because there's enough time. But we're talking about the initial conditions, right? Right. And this, well, I'm saying that the it's normal for there to be disorganized matter. I'm saying that's the normal first state of the universe. Yeah, but in order for there to be matter. There has to be a state which the universe could begin. But that doesn't align at all with theology, though, right? Because God is infinite. Oh, so you're saying... Actually, no, I'm not sure what you're saying. God being infinite is somehow well, at odds with well, the don't universe. We, I thought you guys agreed earlier that the universe and time has existed forever because you can't have right. infinite regression. Oh, so, mm -hmm. so then you're saying how, how does... Uh, hypothesizing God get us out of the infinite regress problem because if God God has to exist forever. So how how does you solve the problem, right? Is that kind of what you're saying? I don't know. I think I was trying to explain simple terms why how you could produce life in a basically in an environment where there was no none. You know, just based off of time and a disorganized initial substrate that exists everywhere. Right. So I'm not arguing that like. Um, like, I'm trying to argue against the fine-tuning argument. Well... Like, you don't need intent in any of this. You just need... I think you do. This is. Okay, like, correct me if I'm wrong. Are you saying that, like... Are you trying to suggest that my argument is... It's surprising that, given enough time, life emerges. Um, to me, like... To me, it's not surprising that life emerges, given enough time in a life-permitting universe, because there are the right conditions to allow yeah, for that. I'm saying initially, the only thing you really need is, is things bumping around, you know, basically. But I'm saying that those bumping around things are improbable, because, again, it, it's any kind of recognizable structure that we're familiar with that's that's uh, at cost here when we fiddle with the constants. It's not it like... too hard to believe that the bumping around... And Molecules is the is the natural state of, of being. Like I don't understand. Like if something can't come from nothing, right? Then there must be an initial condition. There must be a natural state of what we are. And that natural state is this disorganization I'm talking about. Without does it, it doesn't need intent. The natural state okay. is disorganization, but but to suggest. That that's the case is to suggest that somehow organization did emerge, or somehow the 
the fine tuning necessary for life to exist somehow emerged from a, a fundamental disorder. So, so you're saying the disorganization of it caused enough change for yeah, in order for the universe to actually failing at times. This is just the time that it somehow worked out, and we're observing all the chaos. But again, that seems to me to be suggesting that there there was kind of like a lottery or some kind of way for mm-hmm. way for there to be like trial and error runs, and I, I don't think we have any reason to think that's the case. Um, maybe there is, and I think that would probably be a good argument against the fine-tuning argument, um, is that, you know, the constants now aren't what they always were. Maybe they, they differed in the past. But, again, these are the initial conditions of our local space-time universe. And that seems to be what's really important, is that these are the initial conditions. So it's what must be in place at the very, very beginning in order for things to there is no very very beginning resemble if you believe that time's infinite. I I don't well I gave an argument earlier for why we shouldn't think time is infinite. Um and you didn't seem to find an, a problem with it. Um did you wanna You wanna go back to go why back time to, is well, infinite? Maybe I don't understand how God can be infinite, but Okay, well, that's kind of what I thought but, you were getting at. But the material substrate that we exist in isn't. So we can... Because this is as much a part of God as God is God, right? I mean, mm, that, it's not that's like, another thing, I think. Well, so the reason we can say God is infinite but not time is because time, like... Well, you can't just say because God exists outside of time and you missed it. Well, I, it has to be. To me, it doesn't seem absurd to say something exists outside of time because if we have good reason for thinking time is finite, there has to be something outside of time. Otherwise, there would time would be infinite. Our experience is finite, but that's different than saying that time is finite. Okay, well, let me let me try and give another example of why I think time has to be finite. Um, And I think Paul Davies, the physicist, even says something like this. If time were truly infinite, the universe should have already reached decay by now because there's been an infinite amount of time for it to have eroded. And given the fact that it hasn't reached decay, my voice cracked tremendously there. Given the fact that it hasn't reached decay, um, that to me suggests that there hasn't been an infinite amount of time for decay to occur. And that suggests that time is finite. Does that make sense? No, because why are we, why are we saying that you need infinite time for this universe to decay? Um, if there, if the number of events in the past were infinite, we're saying decay should have already taken place because there's been an infinite amount of time for it to have taken place. And since it has not taken place, an infinite number of moments has not traversed already. How do we know it hasn't already taken place? Because, well, I'm, I'm trying to argue that decay, like if the universe had been here forever, full entropy, full disorder well, should okay, already maybe, exist. Maybe I'm saying, our universe hasn't been here forever, but whatever our universe is a part of has been. Okay. Well, that's a different argument. And I think that's something to dive into. Um, but even then, 
I need to sneeze. <coughs> I just... You're not going to give me a blushy? I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, even... Oh, sorry. You Call it out thought. before I could say it. I don't know, man. It's just like I'm just trying to... I just, I mean, I don't have enough evidence or anything to show you, but I just, I really think there's solid argument against the fine-tuning argument. Well, uh, and I know I'm throwing a lot out, but um, I would encourage you to to consider the, the argument I presented on there, there needing to be a specific kind of multiverse to do away with fine-tuning. But if you say, like, well, maybe there's a universe beyond our own local universe, and that's that's what explains um, the the issue of having a past infinity, I don't think that explains anything, or that does anything to remove the need, or excuse me, that does anything to remove the problems with the past infinity, because let's say that our universe had a beginning but its beginning was caused by some pre-existing universe. Okay, well, has that universe existed forever? Did that universe have an infinite number of moments? Like, to me, that that seems to be, that doesn't resolve the problem at all. And for someone listening, he's like, well, Brian is assuming a, a theory of time. Um, yeah, I kind of am, but I, I think there are good reasons for, for rejecting it an infinite regress for uh, for what I just mentioned. <laughs> if, if the past were infinite, you can call the past an illusion, but then why is the illusion changing? If the past were infinite, why, um, why are we just, like, it seems to work both ways. Why are we just now getting to this moment? And also, why haven't we already gotten to this moment? We've had an infinite number of time, an infinite amount of time to get here. Why are we just now getting here? Does that make sense? Well, I think that it's hard to realize in past and future when we say the past and the future because the only thing we really experience is the present right now. When yeah, we talk about the past and the future. It's just it's the present, but in it, we speak of it differently. It's all the present. We just label it the past because it had happened before this present time, but it was still the present when it happened. That's why it's getting hard to understand infinity and stuff like that. You know, it's like... Well, I think we're, we're about at the hour mark. So I think that was a pretty good discussion. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to yeah. more on... Uh, more on our own. Peace out.